All right, we are back. It's another Marketing Monday. Shelly and Adam, sorry for the technical difficulties, everyone. We're going to go ahead and blame the pallet prison for causing us the electrical interference with the Wi-Fi and uh, was causing Shelly some technical issues, right, Shelly? We will also blame that on me looking a little green. It's not that I envy <laughs> Adam and I'm green with envy. It is just we're going to blame it on the cold. Yeah, you've you've become quite talented at not being envious of me. It's it's good stuff. Uh, so today we have Garrett from St. Louis, a fellow Midwesterner and fellow marketer, and I am really looking forward to hopefully learning some things from Garrett today, as I'm sure Shelly is as well. Garrett, would you mind kind of filling in the thousands of people that are going to be watching today and over time into the future for the next couple of decades, who you are, what you're about, how you got to where you are right now, all the things. It's a lot. All right. So as uh, Adam kindly introduced me, my name is Garrett Atkins and uh, I'm the CEO of Vi Media, V-I-E Media. And we're a full service digital marketing agency headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, what we focus on there is a return on investment oriented advertising strategies. Mainly we mess with uh, search engine optimization, Google pay-per-click, Facebook advertising, other paid ads on other platforms of social media, uh, web page design and development and videography. But uh, I also uh, own a podcast recording and distribution studio called Half Coast Studios, where people pay a monthly membership to come into our studio in uh, Crevecore, just outside St. Louis, and record their podcast. And our team does all the uh, editing on the video and audio for those podcasts. And then I write as a contributor for Forbes dot com as part of the uh, Forbes Agency Council, and then participate in a nonprofit called uh, the KMA Foundation, which uh, cooperates with the Missouri Department of Transportation to make sure that high fatality roadways get changed. So if a roadway has high fatalities, we widen those roadways, put rumble strips on the sides and in the middle. Of course, with, like I said, the, the cooperation in the Missouri Department of Transportation. And then, uh, oh, yeah, I own a farmer's insurance agency, but that's not glamorous at all. So we don't talk about that. So Insurance insurance is ra rarely glamorous <laughs> until, Very until rarely. this time of year. And then you have to fix a fridge because it's broken. And then, you know, you basically have to take out an insurance policy on it. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i'm actually really excited about today's podcast because every once in a while the main focus of this podcast was normally because um for you guys that are new that might be joining in the reason why shelly and i created this podcast was there used to be a place in in town called the bakery and every monday the bakery would have what's called marketing monday where didn't matter what business you had or what your background was, any of that, you could come in and you could join. It was kind of like an open forum for one, for anybody to ask any questions that they wanted to. And then everybody just to kind of give their two cents and everything like that. It was a fantastic learning opportunity. And Shelly and I kind of wanted to get plugged back into the entrepreneurial community of Sioux Falls. And then you know, obviously other places. And so a lot of times we are bringing guests on to try and 
spitball ideas at them of what they could do with marketing or how to think about something differently. But every once in a while, um, probably I would say actually this year, we've probably been averaging about once a month. Wouldn't you yep. say Shelly, where we yep. bring someone on that is actively working in the field to hopefully, you know, for everybody that's watching to learn from them on what's effective. So I've got my notepad out right here, boom, and I'm ready to take notes. Um, and I think this will be a really interesting podcast, especially for Shelly's students as well. Probably zero of them watch this, which is a damn shame. <laughs> but um, if you don't mind me asking, Garrett, how old are you? Uh, 28. I 28. was born November 21st, 1992. So if, if we were going to be talking to Shelly's class... Um, basically in and around 21 years old, what are you doing at 21 years old that leads you to this point in time in your life? Well, for me, it was a lot different than what I would recommend to others. My, my path to uh, my version of success was very unorthodox and really a path of stepping stones, learning lessons and failures that led me to where I am now. For a 21-year-old student that I would rather not go through the uh, perils that I had to go through to get to where I am today, um, I would recommend that even for people much younger than 21 years old, and uh, and the young crowd's very blessed because I'm 28, right? The, someone who's 21 was raised on technology even more so than I was. And millennials, years ago, everyone was talking about how millennials are going to be especially apt to use technology because they're raised on it. And just think about how much more apt a 21-year-old is now today to use technology. But that being said, I digress. I recommend that they are at the youngest age possible, whether it's 21, a little bit older, a little bit younger, they are getting on social media platforms and building their personal brand immediately. Uh, every single platform that is a mainstream social media platform right now, recently, you have Clubhouse uh, rising up on iOS and then you have TikTok. Uh, that's also relatively new compared to some of the mammoth uh, platforms out there, such as Facebook that we are on today. Uh, building your personal brand as, as early of an age as possible is one of the best um, pieces of advice I could give someone because whether you're trying to become an entrepreneur or you're already an entrepreneur or you're honestly just plan on working for the man nine to five for, for the rest of your life, your personal brand gives you the competitive edge to lock up more business. If you are a business owner or in a sales capacity somewhere, it makes you look good when you're applying for jobs because surely if uh, either of you have ever been in the hiring position, you do a little bit of cyber stalking before you make a good hire. Um, and when people are looking into you, they want to know um, that you are an expert in the field that you are, are in. For me, it's marketing, right? So here in St. Louis, for example, I have the largest social media following of any CEO of a digital marketing agency here in St. Louis. And I did that very purposefully because I believe not only should you be working on your business, but you should be working inside of your business as well. Uh, so therefore, if you're constantly uh, building your own personal brand the same way you would work on a client's brand, um, it kind of shows your prospects that you, you take it very seriously and you live and breathe this stuff. But uh, one other piece of advice for 21-year-olds specifically, 
would be um, to realize that even right now at your young age, whether you're going to college, you dropped out of college, you never planned on going to college at all, uh, you have nothing, quite literally nothing besides the, the fee for filing an LLC, um, a, a very even smaller fee for filing a fictitious name, which is like 70 bucks for both of those, and access to a laptop or computer to start building your personal brand and to start learning how to do digital marketing. And one of the best things about digital marketing for the younger folk, uh, whether you go to college or not, is that most of the best learning material is already out there on the internet through, through YouTube and various other avenues. I mean, there is just a plethora of information out there for would-be students to learn about digital marketing and the surrounding subgenres. Um, and to become an expert on it because uh, practice makes perfect and it does take years to become an expert. I mean, it wasn't until the past year and a half that my agency that's almost five years old now uh, started providing a, a return on investment to every single client. So mm -hmm. what, um, what was that switch for you where you decided that, what, what, what was that light bulb moment? when you decided that you needed to work, have your personal image be just as big as um, what your agency says that it can do for other, for other businesses. Does that, does that question make sense? Like, it what? Does. Okay. Um, so what I would say that uh, I, I, I kind of knew to do that for me, you know, I mean, let's, let's get it straight. First off, you don't necessarily have to do that to have a successful agency. For example, there's other successful agencies here in St. Louis, and you, you'd be hard-pressed to even find the CEO or president on social media, let alone a good personal brand. Um, that being said, for me, I started my business. Uh, before I started my business, I only did personal branding. And I did it for top producing sales representatives at, at companies. I would basically, they would pay me small fees or even before they started paying me, I'd do it for free, build them a personal brand, start posting on social media on their behalf and really focus on making their brand look as professional as possible. That way they look like an authoritative figure in their industry. Therefore, they're more likely to, to close a deal or, or have prospects hit them up to do business with them. Yep. That being said, the reason it, it was natural for me is because that's where I started my business is by doing personal branding for other people. So it only made sense to do it for myself whenever I started my business. Not to mention, um, I, I found, let's uh, take Gary Vaynerchuk, for example. More people know Gary Vaynerchuk's name than VaynerMedia's name. VaynerMedia is Gary Vaynerchuk's marketing company that he owns. Uh, but Gary Vaynerchuk is very much so the company, like he is the face of the company and it has stood to benefit his business uh, tenfold. Um, he gets deals all the time because of his name rather than the name of his company. I'm sure the name of his company carries a lot of weight as well. But uh, I try to uh, pay attention to what's working for others and see if implementing that in my own work will, will work for me as well. So can I ask a question kind of along those lines that kind of challenges that idea a little bit? Because honestly, it goes a little bit um, sideways to some of the stuff that I have 
seen along the way with with entrepreneurs that I've worked with. And honestly, even in my uh, my personal entrepreneurial journey, and I think Adam would maybe reiterate this a little bit as well, not necessarily digital marketing related, but so I owned a retail store um, here locally, sold it two and a half years ago. And it was more difficult that the the store's personal brand revolved a lot around myself. When I tried to step away from it, it became very difficult to separate the store from my personal brand because there oh, was so 100%. much tied into me personally. So how would you how would you help those people separate that concept? You know, thinking of Gary Vee, for instance, you said, you know, if Gary Vee tried to step away from his media company at this point, that could be a, a very big thing for somebody else to try to put their face in front of that company. I know exactly company. where you're coming from. So here's my answer to that. So Gary Vaynerchuk, I'll use him as an example again. He is a in, in my opinion, a very bad example of making sure that your personal brand is scaling up its brand the same pace as the person who represents it. One thing we do a very good job of at, at my agency, for example, Vi Media, is we invest equally into my personal brand and my coworkers' personal brands as we do the company's brands. Because you're very right, if you are dumping a lot more energy into, let's say, the uh, CEO of a company's personal brand than you are the company itself, that is a detriment, right? Like, let's say you're you're hoping to sell that business. That's going to be taken into account when you go to sell that business. If 80% of the sales are coming from the personal brand of the CEO, right? Mm-hmm. You're basically, the only way you're going to sell is if you, co- if you come with the company. So that being said, it's very important that you're scaling up not only the, the CEO, the president, the employee's personal brands, but also the company's brand. And uh, I guess I didn't do a good job of explaining this, but not only do we work on my brand at the company, every single time a new team member comes on, as long as they're willing to do so, we put a lot of time and effort into every single employee's personal brand at our company. That way, like, I guess uh, a good way to pose this is let's say that part of our hiring process is every time someone's hired, we go on all their social media platforms with them and with their permission, of course, and we make it look as professional as possible. We teach them how to create and use a content calendar. We teach them what works and what does not work, how often to ask for business and how often to provide value in your posting. And if you do that, which each and every individual team member on your team wouldn't you agree that you're going to get more sales because of that than as opposed to not doing that? And wouldn't that be looked at as a plus when you go to sell your business, that part of your operations via onboarding is to do that with each individual employee that becomes a member of your firm? And then, yeah. of course, the answer to that is yes, because you're going to it affects the bottom line. You're going to get more sales. If I have team members or employees at my firm's, um, getting leads coming into them because they're acting very well on behalf of the company via their personal brand. That's definitely a huge benefit. You just have to make sure not to, A, put too much effort in the one person. You need to spread the wealth. And then, B, make sure that your company. Oh, dang it. <laughs> it's going so uh, well. At least, it, at least it ended at like a really good part. <laughs> or frozen I mean, at a really good that's part. That's a pretty good pre-shot right there. Yeah. Um, 
That's a so this is some really interesting stuff. Uh, one of the things once he comes back on, I think that I might ask about is I think one of the issues that so a lot of companies are not run by younger generational people, right? Well, we'll just throw in millennials. That's probably the youngest crowd that's being run by companies at this mm-hmm. point in time. And there's probably some millennials that would actually agree with this thought process. However, the vast majority of companies are run by not millennials, right? Right. And what I am curious about is there the thought process that I could absolutely see ha- an older business person having is, well, if I have one of my employees that's like the face of the company now, like they just have a great personality, it runs mm-hmm. away and everybody knows the company by this person. And now that person has leverage over the company and can ask for stuff that it's going to be really difficult to say no to because they have this great personal brand that is so, so intricately tied to the business. And so I could see there being a lot of fear. um, uh, A lot of fear there. Garrett just messaged the group. Yeah, I'll let you. I'll let you go with that. I uh, it, I actually really enjoy the way that that he is responding here to the question. Like, I like the idea of just building that into part of the onboarding process of taking care of your employees, um, strictly from that perspective of being able to really just uh, invest into each of their individual brands. Um, you know, interesting, it was interesting that he kind of led off with that because after class today, I actually had a student come up to me after class and was like, hey, I kind of have a following on this. I do some stuff in social media already. Um, and we were talking specifically about TikTok <laughs> because I brought it up to her um, in their marketing consults. And so it's one of those things that I think uh, for for a lot of student age, 21 year olds, you know, a lot of them do have a general idea of what it means to build a personal brand. It's just transitioning into how do they then use that to leverage, right? How do they use that to monetize it in, you know, it for personal things while they're young, but then being able to leverage that into going into whether it's working for somebody else or whether it's being their own business, how does that go into, um, using it in an authentic way for yep. entrepreneurship endeavors. And um, I'm sure there's a book written about this and I probably read in the book, but where I actually read it, I'm, I'm not really sure. However, I think one point that adds to what you're saying is that let's go pre-internet. Everybody has a, what I'm going to call, and I'm again, I'm pretty sure I read this somewhere, a circle of influence. You have a circle of people around you that you specifically influence their decisions on something. Every family has a car guy. Every family has a tech guy. And this is what I tell detailers all the time is when you put out content that's educational about detailing, if you are impressing the car guy of the family and then thanksgiving and christmas comes around and every it it just happens to come up some subject about cars and detailing well guess who's going to that car guy is going to recommend and hey garrett (laughs) i'm back Um, no it's totally fine we were just actually running with your um 
with expanding on an idea of yours and uh i'd love to get your take on this but i want to finish my thought just really quick on it sure. so that car guy is going to now recommend the family member or family members to you um, because it's detailing related. You've impressed that person and everything like that. And I think what social media has done and the internet has done is that it has greatly widened your circle, your circle of influence. You're not, you're no longer influencing half a dozen to a dozen people. You're now influencing micro influencing 50 to 75 people. Uh, maybe if you're really talented, good looking, charming and all these things, you might have a couple hundred people that you influence. Um, and that's where, so Garrett, what we were talking about is we were very interested to hear your take on. Uh, so one of the things I pointed out was that the youngest generation that is probably running companies at this point in time is millennial in and around mine or your age. I don't, I'm not sure, sure. if you're a millennial or not technically, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. I'm 31. So we're not that far away in age. And so we're the youngest generation to prop most likely to be running companies, but we still make up a very small percentage of the age group that is probably running companies. There's a lot of older people Correct. running companies. So where we were, what we were talking about was what's your take on your, this idea of investing time, energy, money, resources into building your employees, personal branding that is connected to the company. I can absolutely see where an older person, they might not say it, but I know they're thinking it where they they say, well, what happens if one of the employees, personalities just runs away and they now become the face of a company of the of my company and then now they have leverage over me in order to ask for a ridiculous pay raise or um would just that pay anything. raise not be justified though you gotta you gotta think about it from an older uh, an older person's mindset most of the older people that i talk to they're still very stuck in like Oh well, you know, you have to be this many years accomplished in order to get this much of a uh, of a raise, and so yeah, on. Yeah, they're working at the wrong place. Plus, right. I mean, if you're worried about someone who has a train of thinking, that person's not going to invest in their their employees' personal brands in the first place, most likely. Right. And that's what I was saying. Nine to five people. I was saying nine to five people are included in this in this blanket statement I'm making here. Um, just imagine if you're a mortgage professional, a real estate professional. Oh, we have uh, an employee, uh, an employee at a company. What is the one thing like real estate mortgage professionals? They switch mortgage companies every two to three years, right? Uh, or or real estate companies most of the time. That being said, what is the one thing you take with you? you your 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 personal social media profiles go with you wherever yeah. you may be. So if you're not investing in yourself when you're working as a real estate agent or a mortgage professional or any type of sales professional, really, um, you're taking nothing with you when you leave. You might have some a book of business, but most of those have to stay behind due to non-competes and stuff like that. Yep. Um, you do have some personal connections, but if you build your personal brand out, most of your sales are coming from that rather than being spoon-fed by the organization you work for. Uh, you do have all the leverage and that's more of a reason to do it. And that's ne never been something that scares me because I always grind harder than everyone else on my personal brand. And I always make sure that my company is grinding harder than anyone's personal brand at the company. And uh, if, if you're a good leader and people look up to you, they're not going to want to do that to you. 
quite frankly. Yeah. And if you're not, then and then they might. And that's something you might have to be worried about. But honestly, uh, enabling your team to benefit your company and themselves as much as possible, even if it does result in a, a bad outcome from you to from time to time, that is a more selfless way to approach business. And it's more likely to be beneficial to your business. I wouldn't be scared of that at all. Uh, I just make sure that uh, you're doing uh, your fair share of work. That way people don't want to leave. Yep. I think, I, I think you're right. I think it, a lot of it comes from a scarcity mindset. Um, and um, a lack of understanding of how something like that benefits everyone overall and just poor leadership in general. Um, I think poor leadership really comes down to answering a lot of these issues that could potentially, if you don't, if you don't have a shitty place to work for, it's really unlikely that people are going to leave. I mean, things happen, right? Life happens, you know, stuff happens. Sure. Um, so if you work on culture and making sure that you're not a shithead to work for, then you don't have to really worry about these things nearly as much. Definitely. Shelly. What do you, uh, do you have anything to add? Cause I've got a list of questions here, but I, I want to make sure you get a word in edgewise. I mean, it, that is usually an issue with us. No, I mean, I yes. think what we were just talking about, um, that the, the younger generation is definitely, and I say younger because I'm, I'm in my forties on the other side of you guys. So, but I have students like today, for instance, after class, a student came up to me and specifically was talking about her personal brand and asking me some questions about it. And so I think that it is much more common for the 21 year old as we were referencing to really understand what that means and to understand the value in it. I think one of the challenges that they face as they get older, as they get, um, as they go out into the workforce is how do they leverage that personal brand in their entrepreneurial endeavors going forward? How do they find the right places for them, if they don't, if they're not interested in running their own business, or, or they're not ready to, or life circumstances, or whatever, how do they leverage that personal brand to be able to go out and find the people who will value what the time and effort and energy that they've put into it? Because let's be honest, I think what you're, what you do with your employees is pretty darn rare. Like I don't think, especially, I mean, maybe this is around here, maybe in bigger areas, it's a little bit different, but. Around here, I think that that would be an incredible rarity for an employer to sit down and take that time to invest into a personal brand. And so a 21 year old would be very lucky to have, you know, a person like you to work for that would would understand the value in something like that. So as they're looking for that or as, you know, Adam or myself or whoever is listening, is looking for people, how would you encourage people to see the value in building a personal brand? Um from an entrepreneurship standpoint? I mean, the value, I mean, let's take the, I mean, there's multiple ways to convince someone to do something or to um, show them the value in something. But for a lot of people, it comes down to the bottom line, right? Um, money. If you're interested in making more money, there's data we have, for example, that shows Garrett Atkins's brand has resulted in X amount of referral business over the course of the last 12 months. And that's all tracked in a CRM. Now, um, of course, it would take time to explain what a CRM is to a 21-year-old and explaining how to read that data. But basically, really just showing them the bottom line is lot, lots of people, uh, business owners specifically or future business owners, 
one of their top aspirations for getting into business right off the bat is to make more money. And to be able to show them that without spending a lot of money on advertising, because your other option, you only have, there's a lot of traction channels out there, but one of the, the first two traction channels people look at is uh, spending ad money on their company or, or, or building their personal brand and one costs money and one costs time. So if you don't have money and the other one costs time and you're 21 years old and you got nothing but time on your hands there for, for some of you, not all of you, um, that, then that would be a really good investment of your time to eventually turn that time into money. Um, additionally, it allows you to help identify yourself and find yourself. At 21 years old, I had no idea what the hell I was doing with my life yet. I mean, I, I don't know if you Most guys watched don't. any of the pod. Well, your brain's not done done maturing until the average of, of the age of 25. Yeah. So, I mean, you're trying to, uh, and let's, let's look at the system and how it's structured. You finish high school at the average age of 18. Uh, by then, you 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 might have already picked what you want to do for the rest of your life, and then by 20, if you haven't figured out what you want to major in, by, that's pretty much the age by which you figure out what you want to major in, which basically dictates what job you're going to get after after college, right? And you're 20 years old when you made that decision. You know nothing about life yet. You know, no offense, and some people have more life experience than others, and I've met some very uh, very wise young entrepreneurs. But that being said, most most of them have no idea what life's about to, to throw at them. And so on top of that, your brain's not done maturing until the age of 25. So you still, if you're 21, you have four more years of figuring it out. So personal branding is a way of helping you figure out yourself. Because one of the first steps in building your personal brand is, is building a storyboard. Who am I? What, what uh, value am I going to bring? What topics am I going to go over? And that'll help you find what you're passionate about, that, that, that practice, that process. And once you figure out your values, your mission, um, what type of content you're going to produce, what value you're going to bring, what is your ask going to be? Like, what are you going to sell if you're, if you're starting a business or being an entrepreneur? Uh, figuring those things out will help you mature and uh, figure out what you do and don't like. For me, um, figuring out what I did and did not like and at, at an expedited pace was job hopping a lot from the age of 18 to 22 and a half, 23. And then about 23 and a half, I had done, done enough job hopping to where I knew exactly what I did not like, exactly what I did like, what, what I was good at, what I wasn't good at. And then as soon as I figured it out, I started by media and the rest is history. And now this is the longest job I've held. And it's it's been going good and it's allowed me to start other businesses. But it, it only happens because I figured out what I did and did not like by trying things. And your personal yep. brand will help you figure out It'll help you find yourself, you know, not trying to make it sound too deep, but it will. Um, that actually is kind of um, a question that I had written down for the podcast, which is what were some of the early indicators in your life that you were going to be an entrepreneur, that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and own your own business? <sighs> Uh, 
a few. One of them was my inability to effectively work for other people for a long period of time. I've always been in a sales capacity since I was 17, so 11 years now. I've been doing sales in, in some capacity or another. Everyone's constantly selling themselves, but uh, that's quite literally all, all I did full time. And uh, I was always a top producer, but after like the six month period, that's when I started burning out. It just wasn't for me, usually because I wasn't passionate about what I was selling because I was figuring out what I didn't like. Right. Um, another indicator was um, me always naturally trying to put myself in a leadership position, even when I wasn't uh, working in a position that was a leadership position which was sometimes appreciated and sometimes underappreciated for obvious reasons. Um, and then uh, problem solving. I've always like my brain, um, you know, you, you take tests out there. You have the Iowa basics test, the Wonderlick test, uh, IQ test. My, my brain's always been very, very on the problem solving side. And business ownership is very much about problem solving. Um, constantly putting out fires, figuring out what does work and what does not work. And uh, the type of problem solving that I'm good at uh, directly aligned with um, owning my own business and the entrepreneurial journey. So those are a few indicators. But I mean, there, there's there's a lot out there. My personality, there's a lot of uh, standardized, standardized personality tests out there. And all of mine pretty much put me in the uh, the business owner category, so to speak. Gotcha. Very interesting. I, it, I, 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 I run pretty parallel to that. <laughs> I think most entrepreneurs do. Did, and I apologize if I missed this when you first started, Garrett. Did you did you kind of take a traditional path after high school or did you did you go to college? Did you work? What? How kind of did you? I know yeah. you said your job hopped a little bit, but what was yeah, your educational yeah. so, like? 18 high school. I got a 1.87 GPA. Um, got a boy. That's right. Same here. <laughs> yep. um, D minus. Uh, went to a, went to a community college for three months, dropped out. Um, I had already been working in sales for two years by the time I had dropped out of community college doing door to door sales from 17 to 19 and a half. Um, I was uh, uh, the top producer at uh, Midtown Home Improvements for the West County Division, which is a, an area out here in St. Louis. Um, and then I got promoted to supervisor. So I managed a crew of door-to-door -door canvassers. That's when I realized I, I loved sales. Um, I mean, uh, closing a deal for me is like scoring a goal in soccer to someone else. It is. Um, it gives me that natural high on life, so to speak. Um, then, uh, like I said, 19, dropped out of college after three months, went to sell cars at Sunset Ford here in St. Louis, did that for six months, uh, was uh, the second or third top producer. It wasn't ever first. There was always this one guy that always beat me. It was very annoying, but he did. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I didn't, it, it hurt. It still hurts. <laughs> But because uh, everyone, yeah, else, I won't even say his name. <laughs> everywhere else, I was top dog at one point or another, but not in selling cars. But that's because, like I said, I wasn't passionate about selling cars. They don't care about cars like a lot of people at all. You know, as long as it gets from point A to point B and it, it's a Tesla, that's all I care about, you know. So, um, <laughs> as long as it starts with a T. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, what else? So, I sold cars. 
that was the only job I'd, I'd been canned from was selling cars because I, I eventually lost enthusiasm. I had sold two cars one day and then I went and I got the keys to a truck that was sitting in the lot and slept in the back of the truck, got caught, <laughs> got fired. Uh, so that's how much I cared about selling cars. Um, then after that, I started working up for working for startup companies. This is very important because from 17 to 19, when I was working door to door and selling cars, I learned how to sell to people in person and fell in love with it. Right. I just wasn't selling the service that I was passionate about, the service or product that I believed in. Whereas uh, the startup companies that I worked for the years following that. Um, that is where I fell in love with business because when you work for a startup company, you're subjected to a lot of things that you would not be subjected to at, at say a fortune 500 company, because you're, you're very within your own little box, your own responsibilities at, at a fortune 1000 or fortune 500 company. Um, whereas at a startup company, you're, you're brushing shoulders with the owners in the hallways. You're, you're talking to everyone that works there. You're very much learning about things and responsibilities outside of your job role. And at times wearing too many hats and hats you wouldn't normally wear. That was very much my experience at the first startup company I worked for. That's where I learned to fall in love with operations and business, which was very paramount for the, the uh, mental structure that occurred, which helped me and propelled me to start by media years later. I also worked in the mortgage mortgage industry. Uh, I worked between the ages of 19 and 23. I worked six or seven different jobs. So that's what I mean when I say job hopping, a lot of jobs. Um, two startup companies, three mortgage companies. Uh, I worked for Randstad Staffing, which is a Fortune 500 company, or at least was. It's the second largest recruiting agency in the world. So I worked in recruiting, which was also paramount because that helped a lot when I went to build my team. Because imagine being 23 and a half, uh, the previous six years you job hopped to six or seven different jobs. Uh, try getting someone to work for you. And so that's where uh, recruiting had really come into play. Um, but uh, all of that, that unorthodox lifestyle, which I almost want to say, I mean, lots of people would be like, please don't tell my audience to do this. But I almost want to say that uh, that that was a very good move for me because like I knew by about 21 that what I was doing was with the intent of starting a company. So I was job hopping to figure out what I did and did not like and where the market was where the money was, where people were spending money, how to run a business. I was paying attention to the owners of the companies that I worked for and seeing what they did right, what they did wrong, building connections. Because imagine working at that many companies in such a short period of time, you meet a lot of people. And in a city like St. Louis, where everyone knows everyone, uh, those connections I, I still hold to this day. Some of the some of my clients are people that, uh, that I worked for in the past. So... Um, that being said, my journey was very much, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, a learning experience of figuring out what I did and did not like. And that's how I did it, job hopping. And uh, I commit, committed resume suicide. And when I started my business, I'm sure the outside world did not think it was going to succeed due to the path I took to get there. But nowadays, uh, doesn't no one even asks me about that. No one remembers it. The only time anyone even remembers it is if I talk about it on a podcast like I am today. All they think about today is, uh, what, what have you done in the past couple of years? 
you know, yep. and, and we've, we're an award-winning marketing agency in St. Louis, got a solid team. We, we have Fortune 500 clients. We work with some of the bigger names here in St. Louis and uh, have other firms that are succeeding as well. So, I mean, all that matters is where you are now. One of our, one of the best sayings in sales is no, no one gives a shit about what you did last month. All they care about is what you're doing now. Um, yep. and, and that's kind of true. So. And I think one of the things that that says to me, honestly, like job hopping doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, say anything bad about a person, but from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it shows that you're very uh, willing to take risks and being an entrepreneur, that is such an important um, skill. That's not really skill necessarily, but it's an important quality for that person to have inside of them. Sure. And basically what you're saying is you were willing to take the risk to find what was right for you out there. If it wasn't a good fit, you weren't afraid to just move on to the, to the next thing to try to find what that was. Yeah, well, here's a message I'd really like to get out to your audience that I do think is valuable without um, presenting a, a negative, is that just just imagine we were talking about how society is structured right now, where you go to high school, you go to college, you figure out what you want to do for the rest of your life between the ages of 18 and 24. Um, think about how crazy it is that you go out, get a job, you don't like it, and you stick with it for 10 years. That, to me, is batshit crazy. You know right. what I mean? And it, that, Lots of America, if you just look at statistics, lots of Americans are unhappy, depressed. They don't like where they work. They're, they're not passionate to go into work. Everyone talks about Monday as if it's a negative. Everyone talks about the weekend as if it's a positive. What does that tell you about how uh, effective, you know, the camera's all fuzzy, how effective our, our, uh, our societal structure is right now? Um, and so that's why I think my approach was a lot more sensical than the normal or standard approach many people take to life with uh, going to college, getting a job, sticking with it for 10, 20 years, um, you know, building up good retirement. And that's life, folks. You know, so I think uh, taking the leap of faith to figure out what I did and did not like was paramount to being happy today. So. Um, I know, I know Adam has a whole list of questions, but the only question that I've, I've really thought of that I wanted to ask you um, is, can you talk a little bit about mentorship, um, both what it means to you, um, as far as who you have had as mentors along the way, what kind of qualities you've looked for in mentors, and then flip that coin and are you a mentor to anybody else? And how do how does that relationship look to those around you that you try to build up? Yeah, so mentors have been a huge part of my life. Since I was uh, 20, I worked at my first startup company after I got canned from Sunset Ford. Um, my uh, godfather slash second cousin, he's much older than I am. He's, uh, I think, 48 years old. Um, he was probably my first mentor in business. And... Uh, he played a very big role in inspiring me to want me to own my own company because he owned the first startup company that I had worked for. And um, one thing about mentorship, as I will say, is that you should find a mentor. You figure out what you do like. Find someone who's already where you want to be in that industry. Ask them if they'll, they'll mentor you. Like, just ask them. I've, I get flattered every single time someone asks me for advice, asks me to mentor them, 
ask me if I can sit down with them and teach them a thing or two, et cetera. Just go out there and find those people. Find two or three because you need, you need a lot of it. After you have those people in your life, pay attention to what they say, but at the same time, do not treat everything they say as law. Pick out what works for you and what does not work for you. Because I've had many mentors over the years, and I've had some that were honestly shitty examples of being a, a normal person, but great examples of a business person. Terrible morals, good business people. So try not to take in too much, because I know as, as a 21-year-old person, like some of your students perhaps, these are very impressionable, malleable. Their minds are developing still. So I want it to be known that you don't want to listen to everything they say. Try to pick out what's valuable to you and relevant to you, and that's it. That being said, uh, me mentoring other people, yeah, I do. Every single employee at my company, I try to build a, a relationship with that. I don't try to make it a, a formal mentorship. I don't really think that's what uh, mentorship is, really. Um, I think it's really... Um, building a relationship where they feel comfortable to coming to me for advice, being a good leader. And if you do that, people talk and, and other people will come to you. You know, um, I've also had people message me on social media countless times over the years uh, through my Instagram account, mainly where people are asking how I did this, how I did that. You know, hey, man, can we sit down and talk or can we get on a Zoom call or can we get on a phone call or text about this topic or that? How did you do this? This is impressive. And um, I don't get to answer all of them because sometimes it really is overwhelming. Um, I will say as a mentor, just as you want to be picky about who your mentors are as a student, you want to be picky about who you're mentoring as a mentor because um, you don't want to waste your time on people who aren't going to take you seriously. There's a lot of people out there that need help. If I mentored every single person that had asked me for help, I wouldn't have any time to run my day-to-day -day life. So you want to pick the people that you feel like are actually going to take your investment of time seriously. Do you do you charge said people? I've only you don't charged need to give a price. Once, but uh, no, I, I don't for the most part, and I probably won't for um, I I probably won't for a couple more years at least. Um, I, I I could obviously, but that that I don't think that's where I'm at yet. Um, and I can respect that. The only thing I would recommend is do charge for it. And really the reason comes down to not so much of a money situation. It more comes down to people really don't tend to respect something that they get for free. They just don't. Um, if they, you don't have to charge a lot of money, but if you charge just something, the chances are greater that, what that price point is is that they will put they will put in at least sure. that much effort the value to proposition is extremely important yep um, because um because for me myself maybe not i once i wouldn't say an overwhelming amount of contacts come in and messages come in and everything like that but it's a fair amount to the point where um earlier this year i just decided you know what if if i'm going to be giving out advice because this same advice that i was giving out the years prior, fucking nobody would listen to it, even sure. though it was good sound advice. And the five to 10% of people that did execute on it actually did better and improve their situation. But they just happened to recognize it for what it was good advice that they could go and execute on. Sure. And so I said, well, you know what, if I'm going to have 90% of the people not execute on it anyways, then I might as well get paid for that 
and in the hopes that they would actually take that seriously and run with it. Um, I can't really tell you whether or not that has been um, on on the overall scale effective because there hasn't been enough time in order for me to say that. But I would um, I would just encourage that simply from the point of view of people will take what you say more seriously when you yeah when you charge for it. Yeah. Well, I guess I should have made this a little more clear. Completely agree. Value proposition is everything. If you're giving something away for free. It's going to be much more valuable, or the perception will be that it's much more valuable, even if you just charge 10 bucks. That's just how it is. You could have two phones right next to each other, smartphones. They could have the same exact specifications, same exact body, but if one costs more than the other, it's going to be perceived as better. That's just facts, psychology. That being said, most of the people I mentor are friends, people I've known since high school. Um, That's why I don't charge. The one person I didn't mentor that I chose to take on and mentor um, uh, that wasn't, I wasn't close to beforehand. That's the one person I did charge. Um, yeah. And I didn't charge much. It was just, right. um, I, I'm still trying to figure out that pricing structure down. Cause that's something I'm not trying to spin off or spend too much time on. Most of the people I'm mentoring are people uh, that I went to high school with or have made uh, friends with over the years of, of working at these many companies that I built a relationship with and they have said, Hey Garrett, you know, I, I want to own my own business too. You know, let's, let's talk. And yep. so I help them. Plus it's, it's mutually beneficial. I do that because of course I want their marketing business as well. So, yep. you know, that, that, that goes there as well. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. There's plenty of people that I, I don't charge money to because I respect them, their friends, you know, it's a totally different situation, but um, well, take your Instagram thing or whatever, you know, you, you're going to have random people that you have no relationship with that hit you yeah. up and say, Hey man, like, how did you do this? And you know what, if you're going to suck up a little bit of my time, then you're going to have to pay for it. Like, yeah. I don't know you, we don't have a relationship. You haven't spent time, energy and resources into building a friendship with me. You're basically some drunk guy coming up to me at a bar and being like, what's up, bro. Yeah. Like, no, that's 100% <laughs> true. And I so, Hey, that. you know, um, if you want that fine like but it's gonna it's gonna cost you something at, yeah. uh, and i know it's i know some people will think that that's a a not appropriate statement and that's fine until you get into the situation where some of us have been where you just get bombarded by stuff all the time and then you're considered rude for not replying back to them then oh, I'm so you can't pass that so many people think i'm rude <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um until you get into that situation just you, you i won't say that you guys won't understand but you, you will all of a sudden start to see the wisdom in something like that where you just have a scripted response and say hey man i really appreciate you hitting me up like it's flattering um i just want to let you know i do consulting it's x amount of money per hour let me know when you want to schedule something like it can be as something as simple as that. And then at least it's a response. And if they want to get mad at that, well, they probably weren't going to take your advice really all that seriously. Anyways, they were no. just being a, being an asshole. So no, that's true. I can agree with that completely. Um, one question that I wanted to probably the one question that I wanted to ask in this podcast, Shelly, do you mind if I ask it or did you have something that you well, wanted? That to was it. Thanks for that great answer, Carrot. Yeah, of course. What are you learning right now? Like, what's the top of mind thing that what's what's the number one thing that you're really pursuing as far as um, education or you're trying to learn about? 
Automation. Uh, automation is such a huge thing right now. <laughs> Hold on. Can I, can I just, can I, I just, I would want to add something to that. You, you know what a macro is, right? Yeah. I just started working on that myself earlier today because I love automation and I do a little bit of my own video editing. And okay. like, I just found out that I can set a macro for some of the things that I do with video editing. That's like super repetitious. And like, I just, that's what pretty much what I've been spending my morning on. Is... Check out a program called phantom buster and then thank me later. Okay. But uh, yeah. So automation, automation is uh, the thing we're focusing on most as a company right now, because um, lots of things that people do on a day-to-day -day basis can be automated and, processes can be can be broken down in the one-tenth the time they used to take simply by understanding the technology that is available to us right now today that allows you to automate tasks that would otherwise take hours and break it down into minutes. Yep. Um, we are very much a, we try to be a paperless company, but on top of that, we are, the backbone of our company is a combination of softwares like Google Drive, Google Workspace, uh, Pipedrive, CRM, uh, Zapier, uh, Drip, which is an email marketing platform, yep. and, and many other softwares like Phantom Buster, for example. Um, and what we're doing right now, what I'm trying to learn, because uh, one thing I like to do as a leader is understand at least a small portion of every single thing that every team member on my team is doing at, at, at all my companies. That way I feel comfortable and respected as well amongst my teams. Because if you don't understand what the hell you're talking about as a leader, you're not going to have much respect from your, from your team. And so right now the focus at our company is automation. So I'm spending a lot of time studying, watching videos, uh, learning softwares. That way I can learn how to make all the softwares act together uh, using a program called Zapier. That way I can press one thing in my CRM, and then it triggers a bunch of tasks in my project management software, um, my email marketing campaigns, and um, a lot of other softwares. It's very kind of hard to explain in a short period of time. But basically, No, no, no. I totally, I totally get it. Uh, um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. It's, it's interesting because efficiency is something that I was really passionate about with my business. And I would constantly look at something and be like, okay, how can I... How can I take it the biggest chunk of time that it could possibly be saved in doing something and then automate it or make it more efficient and then just keep chopping away at it um, to where like in the later part of my business, I was basically getting down to the point where I was like trying to figure out how to shave off like one to two minutes off of a, a car detail. I used to own a car detailing shop. And if I can just shave off like a couple of minutes here, then times six per day, that means this amount of time saved per day, which means times five this amount sure. of time saved per week, which means that we make more per hour or whatever. But I did the same thing with software too. Um, there's a lot of great detailing softwares nowadays that do a lot of this in inside the actual software itself. But I had a bunch of different softwares that I just had a whole bunch of stuff pinging around that would trigger this, trigger that to do that. Yeah, um, have you looked into HubSpot by chance? Yeah, no, I'm familiar with HubSpot. We we have to not to go with it. Okay. I the only reason why I bring that up is because HubSpot can be pretty overwhelming as far as like, you know, first getting into the software and getting some of the things set up and everything like that. But because of its enormity, it can get to a point where 
um, one, it's a very well integrated software. It integrates with damn near everything out there. Yeah, that's how but my number two. Okay, um, and then number two, like there's just so much, so many things that you can do with it. Now, depending on what scale you're at. Business-wise, it's not the cheapest software out there by any means. Um, if you have to opt in for one of those blocks, it can get pretty expensive, especially the freaking marketing block, which is a little a little insane for what they're charging for that. But I get it. For some companies, they got to have it. But I've, I don't know why I've always really dug HubSpot for that reason that you're talking about is integrations and being able to really um, do a lot. It can. It's a software that can scale really well with a business. But sure. I, I haven't per- personally looked into PipeDrive, so it might be pretty similar in that. Yeah, PipeDrive, there, there is a, a list of softwares out there that integrate with a lot of things. HubSpot being one, PipeDrive's one, Salesforce, obviously, and yeah. uh, Monday, Slack, stuff like that. But um, right now, PipeDrive is the, is the backbone of the sales division in our company, and that just integrates with everything else to where pretty much our sales guys only have to press buttons and all the stuff they used to have to do by hand is, is all automated now, which of course increases profit margins because now yep. they can spend more time selling new deals. So, yeah. And it makes them happier. More, yeah. More effective. If you're wasting less energy and time on these menial little tasks that, you know, have a certain percentage of either working or not working. Like the follow the the follow up emails, we'll use that as a really basic example. If you have something that just works in the background to send follow up emails, and you don't have to actually type out follow up emails, and you as you're typing it out, you're like, you know what? There's like a ten percent chance this person's even gonna bother responding back to it. Like, why am I typing this out? Right? Because that's the shit I think of. Like. Oh, great. Can't wait to type out, spend 30 seconds to type out this email to get a 10% chance of response. Like, but if you have a software that just takes care of that, it it makes it so that there's more energy that you have in being able to do that next phone call and put more effort and energy into that phone call to to really drive it home to possibly convert. All right. Well, we are coming up on our hour. And Shelly, what what do you have? What do you have to say? I this was a an interesting conversation. I really appreciate you joining us, Garrett. I think uh, it's it's fun for me to see some of Adam's guests that he brings on. It's fun for me to get a little peek into like the stuff that is fascinating to um, to Adam and the the people that he finds out um, in your world. Like clearly, you are more of a marketing person. Versus, you know, Adams in the car world, right? Like you even mentioned that that's not something that appeals to you, but I think you have a full wealth of knowledge. So I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on, by the way, both of you. Oh, it's, it's our pleasure. We usually like to dedicate the last couple of minutes to the show to asking our guests, what can we do to help you in, um, or where can people find you? Like, how do we get the hundreds of people to come your way? The number one way anyone can help me, uh, including you two, is a referral. And uh, lots of people ask for referrals. The one thing I try to tell people is, hey, we pay for referrals, which is awesome. But mainly, even more than that, is that our company averages a 5.3 times return on investment to the companies we work with. So if you refer someone to us, they're quite literally, their their life is most likely going to be changed working with our firm. We're not a cheap firm, but whenever they spend money on us, what I'm trying to say is if they spend 
a thousand dollars a month in advertising, they're going to make five thousand three hundred dollars back. That's an insane return on investment. It took us years to get here. So that's the number one thing anyone can do for me is give me a referral. Um, but that being said, people can find me on GarrettAtkins.com, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-A-T-K-I-N-S.com, GarrettAtkins.com. They can type in Garrett Atkins Entrepreneur on Google or Garrett Atkins St. Louis on Google. And then I am Garrett E. Atkins on all social media platforms. G-A-R-R-E-T-T-E as in Edward Atkins, A-T-K-I-N-S on social media. Perfect. Well, Shelly? This is what we got. I, Like I said, I appreciate you joining us. Um, this was a, a good insight for me into some other stuff. And I'm glad that we were able to do this via our long distance Zoom or not Zoom, StreamYard link today. And even with all the technical difficulties we had, we had I'm glad we could be. So. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no, we no had worries. it in the beginning too, so it's all good. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, we end every episode with a fun little quirky thing that we do here. And I tell everybody to uh, peace out Brussels sprout and see you next week.